Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition podcast. This special series is designed to help business owners and C-suite leaders better understand the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and its potential impact. Hello, I'm Chris Madison, a tax partner at Cohen & Company. Welcome to this episode of Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition. Today, we will discuss the additional guidance released on August 8th related to Section 199A, which provides owners of pass-through entities a potential 20% deduction against income they earn in that business. I'm joined once again by Mike Kolk, a partner in our tax department. Mike, in our last podcast on this topic, you mentioned that there were unanswered questions that the Treasury and the IRS had left for us to figure out. Do we now have some of these answers? Well, for the most part, we do. However, keep in mind these are proposed regulations. There is a 45-day comment period and a public hearing in October for more feedback, but at least things seem to be heading down the right path. So what do these new proposed regulations tell us, Mike? Well, there are six sections to these regs which offer definitional guidance, clarity on certain computational mechanics, certainty in some areas and boundaries in others. There are a couple warning shots to prevent people from trying to abuse the rules as well. You know, Mike, In our first podcast on this topic, one of the areas we discussed in detail was how business owners who were involved in specified service trades or businesses, or for short SSTBs, for example, accountants and lawyers, uh, and, and who were above certain income levels, were excluded from the use of the Qualified Business Income Deduction or the QBID. There was a great deal of ambiguity in this area. Have the proposed regulations addressed these areas Well, actually, it seems like a lot of meaningful attention was given to defining where to draw the line between the core element of these professions and the ancillary areas that fit under the general headings. For example, in health, doctors, dentists, nurses, and such are clearly specified service providers not eligible for the deduction, whereas health clubs, research testing labs, and medical billing companies stay eligible for the deduction. There are 13 specified categories, and for the most part, the regs take a very narrow view of what services are included as SSTBs. Well, it sounds like good news for some and maybe not so good news for others. Do you see any surprises in the mix? Well, the regs make it very clear that real estate and insurance brokers are not specified service providers and that real property management does not fall under investment management. They also gave a surprise pass to banks organized as pass-throughs and decided that taking deposits and loaning money don't fit the definition of financial services. Well, that's interesting. What about our IM pay example? We discussed that people um, in a business whose principal asset is the reputation or skill of its employee may fall into the SSTB category. Even though architects are explicitly not specified, would Mr. Pay's reputation and skill cause him to lose the benefits anyway? Well, Mr. Pay should be safe and eligible for the deduction. The regulations are very beneficial to skilled people with good reputations. Remember, there was a concern that even a particularly skilled plumber might even get trapped this way. So now, in order to fit into the reputation or skill provision, the income must come from either endorsements, personal appearances, or from the use of their likeness, name, voice, or other symbols they're associated with. So Joe the plumber is safe as long as no one else is paying to use his name this way. 
So does that mean that if Joe has his plumbing shop in a limited liability company or LLC and the LLC gets paid from a plumber in another city to use Joe's name and likeness, that all of Joe's income is now tainted and treated as a specified service business? Well, interestingly, the regulations address the issue of businesses with both specified service income as well as income from other sources. We now have the bright line de minimis rules that allow us to ignore the specified service treatment if that income is less than 10% of gross receipts for businesses with $25 million or less in revenue or 5% for larger companies. That sounds pretty straightforward. It is, and it also helps avoid confusion when companies that sell goods add ancillary consulting services that are not charged separately, like the bike shop that consults with customers for the best bike to suit their needs. However, when the services are separately billed and not merely embedded with the cost of the product, there is still room for issues to be avoided if they are de minimis. Mike, did the regs address cracking? We spoke about the hypothetical law firm that broke out its real estate and even copy room activities into separate businesses in order to avoid the specified service label that they face with their law practice income. Is there still room for traditional service businesses to shave off non-tainted income streams? Well, not so much. The rule is now that if a business and an SSTB have 50% or more common ownership, and that includes related parties like family, and 80% or more of the business's services or property are provided to the SSTB, then their income is also treated as income from an SSTB. If the intercompany activity is less than 80%, then the actual percentage becomes the tainted portion. So are you saying that if a law firm owns its building in a separate limited liability company owned by those same law firm partners and collects rental from the law practice, that separate LLC wouldn't qualify for the QBID? Yes, it would It would be treated as an SSTB subject to those income limitations, and this is true even if the rental arrangement is old and cold predating the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. This caught people off guard, I suspect. I guess there was too much focus on what changes could be made to fit the new rules than to worry about what areas might get swept up by surprise. Well, the regs also set out guidance to discourage people from gaming the system. Well, that's going to hit me in the pocketbook. Give me some examples. Well, like the idea of changing from a W-2 employee to an independent contractor, but essentially doing the same job. The regs basically say that once an employee, always an employee, although it's a rebuttable presumption if the facts change. They also nixed an idea involving setting up multiple trusts to give each one a fresh qualified business income deduction on $157,000 of income, even if it's from SSTB sources. They put boundaries around the concept of packing as well, which we discussed. That's right. That's where you try to combine various businesses so extra attributes like W-2 wages or property from one business can be used to expand the limitations that another business might be facing. We discussed the owner of a manufacturing company that also received board fees. So how did things shape up in these circumstances? Well, for starters, the regs relabeled this area as aggregation. And as long as the same group of people, inclusive of their families, own 50% or more of multiple businesses, there may be the option for aggregation. So what are the tests, Mike? Well, first, the businesses must have the same fiscal year, and none of the aggregated businesses can be SSTBs. So where does that leave my manufacturer with their board fees? Is he rendering a specified service? Well, I never said the regs answered all the questions. Consulting is an SSTB, and it's defined as 
professional advice and counsel to clients to assist the client in achieving and solving problems. So in many ways, that's what boards do. But there are also many ways boards do more than that. Send your comments to Treasury by October 16th because there's always a possibility of adjustments and clarifications before the regs are final. Okay, that's fine. Back to aggregation. Any other tests? Yep. The business must meet two of these three tests. First, the businesses offer products or services customarily offered together, like, say, a restaurant and a catering service. Second, the businesses share significant central business elements like HR, IT, accounting, or employees. Or three, the businesses are operated in reliance on or coordinated with other group members, like supply chain dependencies. Any two of these three. So if various businesses are aggregated, do all the owners have to go along with the plan of aggregation? Actually, no. The decision is made to aggregate by the individual on their personal return. However, it is binding year to year as long as the facts remain consistent and there is a requirement to disclose the election annually to the IRS or risk them disallowing the treatment. So I'm getting the impression that these regs offered up some things we can sink our teeth into. What else is there? Well, there's a lot. There were a lot of mechanical details on ordering various computational steps and guidance on how to account for less common situations involving share of W-2 wages or property when the taxpayer's income is high enough for the alternative limitations to kick in. There is good news in there for those who run payroll through a PEO or management company and bad news for those involved in like-kind exchanges or partnership asset basis adjustments caused when partnership units are sold. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Mike. Before I let you go, is there anything else you might want to add uh, for our listeners to take away from this conversation? Well, I think it's time to solidify your plans for optimizing the 20% qualified business income deduction for those higher earners affected by the limitations in Section 199A. We have more certainty than before, and we can address these issues with far greater confidence. Thanks again for your time, Mike. Uh, And with that, we're going to wrap up today's podcast. Thank you to everyone who's listening as well. If you would like more information, please visit our website at cohencpa.com forward slash 199A. Have a great day, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more entrepreneurial insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen & Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action taken based on information in this podcast should be taken only after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law. 